Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Hey everyone, yourself, darling. And seaside. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I live in Marina. Marina, yes. You know, my brother calls it Marineville, which was the setting for um, a Like a Child's cartoon series in the 1960s <laughs> called uh, Stingray with Troy Tempest. They lived in Marineville. Anyway, I digress. I'm sorry, darling. Hey, everyone. This is Liza. And uh, I had a good day. Uh, Let's see. Coming up next, looking dashing as ever. Because if you're looking at the video, you can't see all the holes in her shirt below the screen level. It's Miss Emma. Hello, darling. (laughs) Holes in my shirt means hard work or hardly working. You know it's a love a loved shirt when you still continue to wear it even though it has holes. Well, you know, um, it's gotten to the same stage now. Oh yeah, look at that. Yeah, I love this I shirt. Have, I have to wear something under it because if I don't, <laughs> parts of my anatomy fall out and I'd probably get arrested. So I have to wear a shirt underneath before I put this one on. You're the only person I know who'd get arrested for showing your belly button. For showing what? Hey, Jim. Yeah. Let me introduce you, and then if you don't mind muting, because it's making a lot of noise. He's rolling boulders around his garage. It's Jim. I'm about to put a rear tire on. Hey, peace, love, and soul. Protect your public lands. There you go. I'll mute myself now. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, just waiting so patiently. The nicest misfit ever. It's Bagel. Aw. quite the same as the uh, Cleveland Meadow guys, but it's a good, good yeah. try. Thank you for representing. But, you know, I got to have a beer after a long day of Heinkel riding. <laughs> I know, Emma, you got to ride the Heinkel, didn't you? I did indeed. It's a, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. Cool. I mean, it's, it's big, it's heavy, it's not a performance machine, nope. but it's a, it's a manual transmission scooter, mm-hmm. it, and it sounds quite meaty. It looks like Somebody put two wheels on the uh, rear end of a Chevy Bel Air. It's kind of got that look about yeah. it. Hasn't like, it looks like the rear fender. <laughs> well, Be- Bel Air or a Frigidaire, one or the other. <laughs> um, I didn't know no, Chevy, ab- a Chevy made a Frigidaire. It's um, like absolutely brilliant. It really is. I enjoyed oh. every moment of being on it. Wonderful. I'm glad you liked it. It's like, well, you know, it's, it's rare that you actually get on a machine. There's a true time machine. Yeah. And when I got on that thing, you know, everything went back to the mid-60s. It was brilliant. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, that, that bike is now 55 years old. Wow. Dang. Not as old as me. <laughs> <I'm> Almost. Gonna... <laughs> Emma, you got in there before I could. <laughs> ah. <laughs> well, speaking of time machines, uh, Emma, you helped me work on my KZ400 a bit today. Yeah, we uh, we sorted out a few electrical gremlins. And, yeah, uh, and I just want to say, you know, you're a big supporter, big fan of UASA batteries. 
Oh God, yeah. And, and you, I, you've got a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. I bought a new Uasa, and last week I filled it with acid, charged it up, put it in the bike, and nothing. So then this week I'm like, I'm going to check it out. And Emma was helping me test everything. The battery was reading zero. Zero. And in fact, when we put the charger on it, it doesn't even recognize that it's attached to anything. And, you know, I think that might be telling because when you see a battery, I mean, basically, you just see the box with a terminal and a terminal. And there's a lot going on inside. And the positive terminal drops down into the plate. And then there's a pack of plates and then another five packs of plates alongside it. And I think somewhere along the line, that chain is broken. And if it is, you'll just get nothing. And I think that's what's happened. But why it's broken is anybody's guess. No, no connectivity, no power. Yeah, there's but, just nothing. But last week I charged it and it showed a reading. Well, you no. broke it, yes. didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> something something yeah. let go inside and i've had batteries before that have had internal issues where something broke and it did weird things you know it happens it's a physical medium um but upon hooking up another battery i found out that not uh there was a little bit of janky wiring and uh there was a short in the system somewhere which we're not sure if that led to the demise of uh, said battery or not Emma, what's your guess? You know, Co coincidence I mean, it may, or um, it may. You know, you've got in a in a regulator rectifier, you've got little diode packs, and you've got to charge them up. And I think that the first time that we, you know, flashed the battery across, and I thought, oh, there's a dead short. It's just charging up the diode packs. I don't think so. I think you just got a janky battery. Mm. So. Um, it'll give you an opportunity because I think that one was undersized. So get the right size battery. And it's the last thing you do. Well, Connect and, up your battery. You do everything else first. Yeah, but this bike is basically a dirt bike. It kicks, kicks kickstart only. The battery is just to run the lights. Yeah, There's exactly. no starter. Yeah. So it doesn't need to be a big battery, right? No, it doesn't. Right. Um, but we did find, uh, Emma helped me quickly find, this is where she's really handy, quickly find a bad connector that had burnt up. And in fact, the the male uh, lead that went into the female had melted away. Uh, but I was able to scavenge from our, our box. And this is something I, I recommend to people. If you have old bikes you're working on and old wiring harnesses or old accessories, I throw them all in a box and we go and scavenge connectors and wires from those all the time. And uh, I was able to get one little mail pin to put it into the the block and uh, solder it all in and get it all going. You know, it's funny you should mention that, Eliza. When I was uh, getting ready to do the last step on getting my hangle back together, which was filling and charging the batteries, mm -hmm. I was missing the, because it says two six volt batteries in series. Wait, and I was why? Because back in the 1950s, when this bike was first designed, they only had six-volt motorcycle batteries and a 12-volt system. <laughs> so that's what they had to do. But there's a little bridge uh, cable that goes between the two batteries, and I couldn't find it anywhere in my boxes. And so I went into that little bin of parts in the garage there and found a suitable piece of wire with ends already on it, bolted it right in. It's a perfect fit. 
Yeah, it's fun when things that you hoard actually come in handy. <laughs> yep. Do you know what I found in that box, Liza? You, what did you find in my box, Emma? A dead possum? Possum poop. <laughs> <laughs> Which speaks volumes about your hoarding <laughs> skills. <laughs> hey, some possum might need that poop someday. Well, you know, I, I know a chihuahua that would probably enjoy eating it. <laughs> oh, <Yes. God. laughs> so, yeah, so... Um, with her help, managed to diagnose, find these problem wires, get them all replaced, soldered up nice and neat, and all the electrical works. I even had a bad bulb, so all's good. So next step is carb and carb boots, so I'll go from there. Um, but I didn't have as much fun as Jim did. Jim, you had an epic adventure this week didn't you hey hey yeah i did actually yeah i'm i'm, it's, I'm on a streak <laughs> so yeah this weekend or i just got back but uh left on wednesday and went up north to the emerald triangle of california mendocino county and uh ventured off into mendocino national forest and spent uh three nights up there and it was it was like i say it every time when i venture off into the wilds of california it's brilliant um, for a lot of reasons, but yeah, it was pretty neat. You know, like we had talked before, a lot of our trips already got, you know, got canceled this year and just as, as kind of time allows and pops up, I'm, I'm kind of trying to bounce out of town. So um, a couple of things going up to the Emerald Triangle, you shared with me, um, you were given some good advice. Uh, anyone coming to that area is given some advice. You want to share that? Sure. And it's, it's, it's always good advice to stop at your local ranger station, um, check in. I always call and, and say, Hey, what are some good places to go? That kind of thing. Also for safety reasons, like fire, what's the fire deal with fires, you know, bears. Oh, you just cut off. Yeah. My phone just kind of went sideways. Um, yeah. So you stop in to see like mm -hmm. bears and, that. and, um, one of the signs they said, if you come across a illegal marijuana grow, here's what you do. So that was the first for me, actually public noticing on a ranger station what happens if you if you come across an illegal cannabis growth. So I should imagine you bounce as quickly as possible. So what do you do? Oh, well, since we're on the topic. You pick um, a bud and you roll it up and you get a lighter. <laughs> after that, um, well, no, in all seriousness, the first thing is do not take out your phone. Yeah, do not take a picture. Do not take out your phone. And secondly, it was basically leave immediately. <laughs> <laughs> First advice, so, don't take a picture. Second advice, leave. <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not familiar with that part of California, uh, Mendocino, the Emerald Triangle, it's called, because of the marijuana industry. It started um, in the late 60s when the hippies were bouncing out of San Francisco for an alternative lifestyle. And they didn't grow weed back then for money. or It was just it was something they grew to use and whatever. But it was mostly to get to check out a society. Well, over time, they figured out they could make money and blah, blah, blah. So up until recently, it was illegal. So it was very dangerous to venture out into the wilds of Mendocino. Um, and there's a, a series on Netflix, if you're curious about it, called Murder Mountain. Mm, right. So it's a trip. You go up there, and not to get off a tangent, but um, there's a lot of illegal growing back there. And these are and a lot of cash money and shady people. And you realize, I think Mendocino, that area is the least populated part of California, extremely dense forest. Ranges from like, you know, a thousand feet. I think the highest goes up to about 6,000 feet in that area. Super dense, but the illegal grows everywhere. So you do not venture off the off the path. But anyway, that was kind of interesting. But um, now that it's legalized, it's it's fascinating because you see it right along the road. I think it's Highway 183. We took out of Covello 
And, you know, most of it's kind of blocked off. You can't see it. Sometimes you can see, see by it. Holy moly, can American farmers farm? I tell you what. Um, so anyway, uh, the other little interesting side note is they're putting big pressure on the wine business because that area is also wine central. Yeah. Uh, down south through to Healdsburg and all the way up to Willits. Um, and they're starting to compete for resources, water, fertilizer, all that kind of stuff. So little by little, you know, wine's getting squeezed out by the cannabis industry. Anyway, all that aside, it's beautiful. It's very typical of California in the mountains when you get up about that that height. So went off on some fire roads, you know, kind of nerded out on Google Earth and 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 just checked some stuff out. And wanted to find water because it gets hot up there. Huh, uh, there's a cat behind you. Behind me? Yeah. Oh, hi, little kitty. Mangy, mangy cat. <laughs> uh, the shop kitty. He's been huffing all day, huffing brake cleaner. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so off on the fire roads, and that's why I said earlier, you know, um, protect your public lands because it's great. I'm kind of the hierarchy kind of is, you know, the, the lamest stuff is around your neighborhood. Then you go to like an OHV area. Then the next cool step, in my opinion, up from there would be like a state park because you have a little bit more leeway you can camp. Then when you get into federal lands like national forests and even better BLM land, you can do all sorts of fun stuff. So this was national forest, so you could either camp at some developed stuff. You could head off on fire roads and find things. So it was really, and it was really desolate. There was almost no one out there. And then um, the, the next level up, Ayersberg. Ayersberg. <laughs> yeah. Osberger. <laughs> so, um, but it was very typical of the writing we do. It's, it's, you know, a lot of, basically it's every form of base rock you can imagine from big, big softball sized chunks of rocks to just hard packed rock and everything in between. But the views again are, are magnificent. You can see down these huge valleys. So besides the pot growers, there's some other things you have to look out for that you encountered as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We get up there and you think about bears. Like normally that's the thing you worry about, bears eating your food or trashing your car. So don't see any signs of bear, no poop or anything. So that's cool. But see all of this other wildlife, everything from deer going across the road to a lot of rabbits, you know, chickmunks, tons of birds. Butterflies came out of the woodwork. It was wild. This pond was really live with dragonflies. So it was like a Disney movie. Like, where's Bambi going to pop out? <laughs> so I look over and, oh, you know what comes popping out of the woods? A fucking rattlesnake. Sorry, my French. But yeah, no shit. I'm in our little site. No one around. Chill is, you know, we've been bouncing around for a couple of days or a day and a half at least. Like idiots. And um, yeah, no, 10 feet away, there goes a rattlesnake. I, I think easily three and a half feet, four feet. So it was a, it was a good sized snake. And and yes, it was. When you look at it from 10 feet away, you're like, yep, that's about four or five rattles. And the odd, I mean, the awesome part was it went these bushes right by where we were. And I was going to like scare it out so it would go somewhere else. Nope, it just hunkered right down. So there we are for like three days next to this rattlesnake as far as we know. Um, so that was cool. And then uh, the other fascinating things, I was riding through the trails and came across a down tree and couldn't really get under it, blah, blah, blah. So I had to back up, shot off the trail into the woods, got stuck for a while there. Finally got the bike turned around by, by dropping it and dragging it by the rear wheel to get <laughs> the aiming up. Yeah, it was fun. I was, I was about to have a heat stroke. Like, it was like, you know how it's like a half an hour fighting this thing, trying to get it up a hill and in the pine straw. So it's, it's a beautiful forest with leaf litter. And uh, so I go down to reach the rear tire to pull it back and pal, like, oh, cool, there's a scorpion. I'm like, what the fuck? We're like like 3,500 feet up in the middle of the pine forest, and there's a scorpion boogieing by. So I'm like, that's cool, rattlesnakes, scorpions. But we did get escorted up the road where someone got up this fire road. I don't know where this turkey comes up on the road and starts hauling ass in front of us, which is pretty funny. 
and we're just rolling behind it. We must have followed that thing for a quarter mile, and it was just booking. <laughs> it was hilarious. So but it was fun riding. I took the 250, um, got to practice a lot of the things we learned with Jocelyn. So, mm-hmm. you know, reading foot pegs, you know, steering with my hips a lot, um, you know, really trying to get the weight right and keeping your eyes up, uh, you know, covering the front brake, screwdriver grip. You really got to practice a lot of that stuff because some of these roads get real big sweeping turns and there's really no one around. So, you know, you can get up going 40, 50 miles an hour and the whole bike just gets that skiing feel. Um, so you noticed a difference in your riding? Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially when I got in trouble because of the, the exciting part about those kind of long curvy sections where you're getting up in speed is usually they, they end abruptly <laughs> and you can't really see it. until you, So it's either a bunch of ruts or a patch of sand or a turn. So we really got to practice as you like breaking wasn't an option. Um, so you pick your eyes up, you get your weight in the right spot and the bike just, you know, it bike just wants to go where it goes. So yeah, it's amazing if you just relax, keep your eyes up. Um, that's really it. Relax, keep your eyes up. You go where you're supposed to go. And there's one more part of the story. And this is something I really appreciated. Um, because it can be dangerous going off riding on your own. Right. Which you were doing, you were just going off into the woods with rattlesnakes and shit. Yeah, I did. I did 50 miles one day. I was probably 25, 30 miles away from most people. But what I appreciated is every now and then I'd get a message sent to me from your Garmin inreach inreach. Yeah. Saying here's where I am. I'm okay. That you just did little check-ins. And I think that it, that is a great tool to have. And uh, who was, I was with somebody. I said, Oh, I haven't heard from Jim today. Ah, oh, he's probably okay. Because you have that. It's, it's either you're having fun or you're dead. If I don't hear from you, it's having fun or dead. If you're in trouble, you have that there and you'll hit that button. You're either yeah, it's kind of it's fun. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of fun because you get to let your, you know, show people where you are. And I don't know what it looked like on the map. It had looked like I was in the middle of nowhere. Um, but it's kind of, it's kind of, and it's easy to do. Literally for me to send that message to you was about three, three clicks, you know, three buttons. I got to add a fourth. I got the first one is, Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm having a good time, whatever. Second is bike broke down. I'm fine. Third is basically I called SOS. I'm hosed. I got I got to do the third one for you, Liza. So when you look at my location, you know I'm pooping. Yes, usually so that's the one I get is the I'm text. pooping one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the weather the, the weather came in handy again because it was hot. So hit the weather on the thing, getting that a three hour accurate forecast you know, uh, for the next like two days. It was great. So yeah, I like the inReach. It's fun. Well, and Jim, that was a great trip you had, but dude. We're leaving in two weeks for our trip. Isn't it two, is it two weeks? Dude. No, it's got to be longer than that. Yeah, who cares? Next month. Is it two weeks? Yeah, we're Audi. I'm, I don't know, but South Dakota, here weeks. we come. Uh, who's Utah. running the garage in your absence, Liza? Um, I've asked Nock to come in. No, Emma, you are. <laughs> because everyone will do exactly what I say. Are you listening, Bagler? Yeah, boy. <laughs> you better <laughs> because I shall be in charge. I'm going to rename Recycle Garage Emma's Reign of Terror. <laughs> Thankfully, I think it'll be quite short lived. What is two or three weeks, Liza? Exactly. It's going to be like two plus. Two plus, yeah. yeah. Two plus. Well, well if, it, if it works out well while we're out there, they'll do some weird quarantine thing and we won't be able to come back to Santa Cruz. That is a concern. And we'll just, 
that's been just for right another two weeks yeah well let, let me tell you something if they don't start getting these numbers back down we may all soon be going into quarantine again quickly well you guys heard about san francisco right what about no. uh like four or five days ago they went in a complete lockdown did they? uh they did you're only allowed to leave your house for doctor's visits and groceries wow that's it we may be going into a nationwide nationwide lockdown and their numbers aren't that bad i mean california in general is bad mostly in southern california right. but, but san francisco is like well let's, we're not messing around right but the lockdown is necessary to keep the numbers from going up even further that's the thing yeah yeah and all this opening up is only accelerating those numbers going up gonna fade away i'm not worried yeah um, so, so um, back to motorcycles we're talking so about we're talking about our the garage indefinitely thank you so we're talking about our trip and like where we're gonna go and i was just telling him about a nice little side trip i have planned for him so you guys may know um i was born in uh southern utah my family's from there i spend my every other summer there so um there's a really cool place right before you get to zion national park and there's a little town outside of it tiny little town uh called rockville and there's a turn you can make that takes you over an old bridge and on to flintstone and barney rubble live there close (laughs) actually this town i've been fascinated with this since i was a kid it's such a small town it's just one street it's the highway right and there's houses on the side and you get the american flags and the street lights to this day is still bare light bulbs it's a wire with a bare light bulb hanging <laughs> down the street wow yeah, yeah i love it it's a real so, small town oh but are he, we going to be able to see butch cassidy's gravestone uh he's not or something like that something like that. birthplace we're going to go to his birthplace in circle is that what it was okay but um we're going to go off um and i do this all the time uh, i've grown up going to visit this ghost town called grafton but what's great is it's a dirt road and you're going off into because it's right near zion it's a lot of these cool rock formations and and kind of desert and rolling hills and and stuff like that and um i've always done it in a car but i think we'll we'll park and we'll unload the bikes and go ride and there's an old the old settlers cemetery for the ghost town and it's really cool because it's in the desert and they had old wooden grave markers that are carved out that are still there from the 1800s. Right. I got a, well, I got a game we can play. Huh? Yeah. I said I have a game we can play. Yeah. How many grave mounds can you can you jump? Yeah. And there's and there's it's that mounds is because not it's such full jam. It's such hard. <laughs> still a piece of plywood. It's such hard dirt there. You can't like dig down six feet. So people are buried and then the ground is packed and there's still these mounds over them. Wow. And a lot of them were killed by uh, Indians. They're called whoops. Mm-hmm. And um, you can go back to this town, uh, Grafton. It's a little ghost town. And it was made famous, actually, from the film Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, if you recall the film, there's a famous scene where they're playing that song, mm-hmm. Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. And Paul yeah. Newman is riding around on a bicycle outside That's the, in Grafton. his girl te- girlfriend's house, the school teacher. That was in Grafton, that whole bike scene and all that. Okay. Yeah, but you know, it's we're really lucky here on the West Coast because there's a ton of these little ghost towns, and they're all so well preserved. I mean, there's Grafton, there's Bodie, is another one, mm-hmm. Calico mm-hmm. is another one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's got to be a ton of them everywhere. I think well, there's a lot of mining stuff. Yeah, a lot, yeah, of, a lot you of mineral Yeah, talk about kind of going things. back in time. Yeah. yeah San Benito County, there's weird stuff down there. There's only yeah, right. there's only a couple buildings left there, but it's a cool, neat, old, you know, dirt road back there. And what a great like starter to kick off our trip and just go show him some of the places I've grown up going. Um then we'll head up through Utah and then over to Colorado where I think we're gonna head to Denver. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm hoping to, hoping to knock on Aaron mm-hmm. Sills door. Ding dong. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> We're Me here. Too. That would be awesome. That would be, we'll just, maybe we, maybe we shouldn't, we should just show up and be like, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> don't give her advanced warning. I know. Yeah. It'd be a hoot. I would love to ride in Colorado. I've never been to, I haven't been to any of these States. So I'm, I can't wait to see Colorado. And has it worked out where I think, mm-hmm. I was going to say we have a little bit extra time um, because we can't really ride most of Utah, California, Utah is out because it's going to be like 110 degrees. Um, so we may as well bound on up to Colorado and start riding there. Well, you might get some nice weather depending where you are in Utah too. It can be cooler up in the hills, and yeah. and there's amazing riding yeah. all over there. So, well, yeah. I told Liza the uh, BDR goes you know through southern and northern Utah, so we could pick up part of the BDR if we wanted to up in what is it, again well north northeast Utah, central northeast. Right. You have to remember, not all of Utah is balls hot. Um, a lot of it is higher elevation, and it's not. Yep. There's a lot of different elevations there. So, but if I had a choice, if I was going to say if I had a choice to ride by myself or with not not with it's bad, but you and I to ride or by ourselves up in Utah or hook up with Aaron and uh, ride in Colorado, I think I might choose uh, some time with Aaron. What? <laughs> oh, they're a hoot. Those two are great. Yeah, I gotta okay. I gotta email her. Um, yeah, please be safe out there. Yeah, so I'm getting psyched. Um, though our our turnaround destination is Custer, South Dakota, where my good friend Michelle lives and has her chalet motor lodge. Really cute, like vintage little motel. And unfortunately, this week, after having nice spring, you know, and the buffalo coming out and all the flowers coming up on Thursday, I think it was Thursday, torrential hailstorm. Like, foot and a half of hail stacked in front oh, of cool. her her uh, customer's door she had to like dig people out of their rooms and Crazy. destroyed like the neon that's on the face of her building and her roof like and killed all of her plants and like oh no oh like and then and then the torrential downpour that then flooded everything mm. yeah so there's crazy weather there year. Yeah. crazy weather in south dakota well i can't wait to get there but that'll be interesting the whole like indian history i mean talk about burial mounds about in the wild west but i think when we get out to south dakota and the black hills i'm actually kind of excited to learn more about that you know that whole thing well and we're going to be there just uh, a couple weeks before <laughs> sturgis bike week so we're gonna see they're gonna be setting up preparing for everything yeah well i i think i might just bound out into the hills most of the time you know what i thought would be great is you guys could come visit a day trip and resupply me see this is what his plan is his plan is all right we're in custer i'll see ya i'm gonna go up to the mountains and be a man and, <laughs> and live off a of rattlesnake blood oh by the way can you drop off some uh some supplies Tampons. for me yeah <laughs> <laughs> no just gas that's all just gas I thought it would be a fun trip. You guys could come up. I'd be all dancers with wolves. We'd eat some I love bison. how you're turning it into, it's a fun trip. Come bring me supplies so I don't have to see you again. <laughs> hey, I've been your errand boy for the last six years. So 
<laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait to see Michelle. She's great. Um, and just see that part of like the, that. I've never seen any of that part of the country. And take the bikes out. I think having the little bikes will be fun. It's funny. This weekend, I rode it with the with the tires at 20 psi. It's the hardest I've ever ridden them with, mm-hmm. with the rocks and all that. And I think it made me um, like a better rider in the sense they were pumped up and hard. Um, I think if I, if I was in the forest, like when I went up, it wasn't a hiking trail, but it was a hiking trail that I rode up. Um, and that's where I kind of got stuck and it was all pine straw there. You definitely have to drop it down to like 12 or 10 PSI. But I found, you know, riding on the hard packed rocks and stuff, the harder pressure. Well, mostly I just don't want to get a flat. It actually kind of, I think it made you a better rider in the sense, throttle control, clutch control, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's where you want to have one of them mooses, right? Right, Emma? Yeah. You exactly. love them mooses. Big moose. Would, <laughs> if they were DOT and easy to fix in the field, I would totally run one. You know, but but can I run one at 20, 22 PSI and then go down to eight? No, know. you don't get a choice of what you get to run it. You just exactly. stick it in the tube. It's like a moose. <laughs> it's a moose. It's a big I'm just going to stick with the, the simple stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it, I, I just, me and Liza are going to be in an RV for two weeks and I get to cook the whole time. Oh, we should have take a poll. Wait, wait, Liza wait, wait. wait. Get... Doesn't Liza cook at all? No. Really? Have you are ever you looked at my refrigerator? Yeah. <laughs> I know that you are the queen of convenience food, but I mean, okay. So th- this is going to be Liza's magical mystery tour. I am going to cook her gourmet food daily and try to prohibit her from eating any food out. Now, here's right the on. thing. If I can do that and put all this effort and love into it, but if Liza doesn't do one thing, it will fail. And I need peer pressure from our entire listening audience. Why do we need any pressure? I told you I'm I'm excited to eat anything you cook for me. Why am you I needing pressure? You cannot drink soda. You cannot drink You soda. cannot drink beer. Okay, deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gave up beer like two years ago. Brandy, it's going to be on the hard liquor. But in all, <laughs> the hard liquor, son. Um, but in all seriousness, I think it's a great chance for you to see what eating clean would do. And if you were actually able to kind of give up soda... I think you might be shocked on how your body feels after two weeks. I told sure. you I've you given up soda. I've given up soda before. But you haven't given up the shitty food. So anyway, not to belabor it, but if you like, let me feed you for two weeks, I think you will be a different person. I don't know why you keep trying to convince me. I already told you. Yeah, I'm in. Anything you cook, I'm happy to eat. I just, just got soda. this great vision of Liza reclining on a chaise dressed in a toga with Jim feeding her grapes. As long as they're healthy, yes. Grapes is code you, for deep-fried sheep's balls. Yes, <laughs> and you can be playing a harp, Liza. It'll be it'll smell a harp funky. while Jim feeds you grapes. I guarantee you after two weeks, and you if you were to go in that thing, you will not be able to identify that smell at all. <laughs> God. Be but what a great motorcycle adventure. I mean, I'm jealous. I think everybody hearing this is jealous. What gets better than that? You know, you just jump in an RV with a couple of dirt bikes on the back. Go and explore America. It's a, That really is as good as it gets. That's, that no. is an adventure in every, every sense of the word. And I'm glad you said that because I want to mention that about going to Mendocino because well, like if people looked at my, my Instagram page or whatever, all my pictures kind of look the same. It's a dirt bike with like mountains in the background and trees, right? 
But every time I go, I kind of leave it up to chance. Like I'll pick a, a kind of an area to hit. And other than that, just leave it up to chance. And I, I, I flew with this idea to Liza for this trip. Let's not plan shit other than some right. specific things. Otherwise, let's wing it. Just every day we'll decide what to do. And I find when you allow for that and you stay positive, the most cool things happen. Like, and, and I think people know what I'm talking about, but I do like the idea, like Emma, you said, take chances. You know what I mean? Go out and yeah. do something. You know, just wing it. And, and shit happens, and it's great. You know what I mean? So, yeah, go out, do it. Take chances. Well, you know, you say that there's a commonality in all of our lives. I mean, we're bound by motorcycles. But you say, you know, your Instagram posts look the same. All mine look the same. Usually I'm there grinning like an idiot with dirty hands standing above a bike in a million pieces. And all my Instagram posts look like that because that's my life. And your Everybody's life is, is riding your bike into God knows where and fighting scorpions and rattlesnakes. <laughs> it was funny. I went with a friend and we started going down this, this road. road, And um, <clears throat> she's like, we're going to die. And I knew at that point we were doing the right thing. Because <laughs> like, in my mind, I'm like, we're not going to die. Just thinks we're gonna die, but but that's when you know the fun's gonna begin, you know, because that's when you, the adrenaline. That's when the blood like, starts pumping. Yeah, you know, there, all of a sudden there's a water crossing. Oh, didn't know that was gonna happen. So took the new truck through the water crossing. Got some good scratches and mud on it. No, I'm um, jealous. I'm I'm jealous, and I am so looking forward to. Uh, you know, Liza, you're really gonna have to devote a couple of podcasts to the your adventures afterwards. I don't know. We'll see. Instead yeah. of that, let's plan a big camping trip when the COVID thing works itself out. It would be fun to have a bunch of people end up in the woods, you know, barbecuing, riding bikes around, having a good time. It's it's beautiful, man. The, but, the, the woods are just awesome. Yeah. I do just want to remind everyone, though, um, again, we're so used to doing events and organizing big rides and all that stuff. And this is our response to COVID. And this is a two-person COVID-safe tour and that other people you may want to consider this i just went to cruise america rented an rv it's as simple as that you can also go to rvshare.com the airbnb of rvs you may find a van or a giant you know bus you got all sorts of options on there it's something that um other people may want to consider uh hauling your bike and going uh touring in a covid safe vehicle Hey, I've got a yeah. question for you, Liza, because, you know, this is something that I know a lot of people want to ask. And I've, for some reason, I've never got around to it myself. Six foot. Oh, no. That oh, wasn't. yeah. Okay, okay, very good. Um, what does a Cruise America RV cost for, a, what, three weeks? Uh, it's two weeks. What did it come to, like, two grand, a couple grand, I think? So, like okay, that. a thousand bucks a week. Something like that. It, was, um, it almost worked out to be like a hotel room a night, something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, you're not saving money, but um, the, yeah, the but reason that we went adventure. we the reason we went cruise America uh, as opposed to RV Share is that if something happens, if it blows a tire or something happens, they've got places all around the country that we could stop and get it repaired or yeah, trade yeah. it in for another. So we have that security. That's right. basically that's basically it. Um, uh, plus, I don't feel guilty shitting in it. Wait, I thought we had the no shit rule. Oh, you can't. No, that's change just the you. You. That's just you. That's just you. I said. Oh. I said you can't shit. I didn't say anything about me. Oh. 
it's it's much safer to take a dump in your RV than it is in a gas station bathroom if you can even find a gas station bathroom that's open. Yeah, you can so, go okay, here, shit in the woods. Yeah. You here's want the trade off. I'm I'm gonna get you one of those seats that fits on a five gallon bucket. Yeah. <laughs> and know. you know what? And that'll smell Jim, much better. You should you should bolt that five gallon bucket on the back bumper so she can <laughs> sit on it while you're going down the road. <laughs> it's like like in India. Put a couple oh handles God. on the side. Um, hey, no, it'll be fun though. Yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to it. Uh, quick announcement: We let's see. Last week we released a new Misfits. That was the one. Our one on tools. 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 And um, there were some people who noticed that there were some tools on the table that didn't get discussed. Jim, you got to check out for a bit. I am out. I got to do All some right. things, and uh, hopefully I'll be back in a bit. Cool. Ciao, Jim. Bye, um, ciao, ciao. Yeah, and that was because uh, we just talked too long, and I had to edit it down and remove some of the tools we well, talked that's about. that's got to be you, Liza, because I don't talk too much. That's exactly it. <laughs> but I figure we can always revisit it. Um. And uh, so we have a new one, another one I'm going to be releasing. Uh, so this is on our Recycle Santa Cruz uh, YouTube channel. Um, and this is the Misfits, M&I, talking about different things. And on this next one I'm going to release in a couple days this week, uh, we answer some emails and answer some, some viewers' questions. Uh, one is about the PC-800. <laughs> just to tease that one out and the other one do you remember what it was emma it <laughs> i remember the pc 800 one. Oh god what did i yak on about the uh about the other one bearings um, what bearings oh yes the bearings one that's yeah, right we, we talk question about we bearings. talk about bearings and how to check your bearings and all kinds of good things with your bearings and both of those were um, listener requests. Exactly. So um, apologies. Our goal is to make shorter videos, like 10, 15 minutes. But we're used to doing two-hour podcasts. So this <laughs> this next one came out at like 31, 32 minutes. We haven't gotten good at just making it short and sweet yet. <laughs> but we're working on it, right, Emma? We're working on it. <laughs> working you know, on it. it's... It's hard because time has never really been an issue. I mean, the podcast come in at two hours long, and it gives us plenty of opportunity to yak on about God knows what and bore our listeners mightily. But these, the you know, this video format, I mean, we're trying to be short and sweet at 15 minutes so we don't send people into a coma. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And it's kind of hard because at the 10-minute mark, I'm just getting started. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's practice makes perfect, darling. Well, and speaking of emails, we had an email come in to recycle motorcycle garage at gmail.com from Betty. And Betty yeah, I was had a suggestion that, that we do a history hole on the Perry Dakar race. Mm -hmm. And for her, it's a bit more personal, I believe, because uh, I think she lives out there, right? Here you go. I'm going to read the, the actual email. Yeah. Um, so absolutely love the podcast Heart Symbol. I like that you mentioned <clears throat> the Dakar Rally. 
I was raised and born in Dakar in Senegal. Wow. I just wanted to mention that the Dakar rally changed the location because of the terrorist threat in 2001 and ended up in South America. It's going to take place in Saudi Arabia for the next five years. It's got more to do with sponsors and money than the actual danger. Mm -hmm. um, Lyndon Poskid is actually partaking in the Africa Eco Race. That race, so this is now a different race, mm -hmm. the Africa Eco Race, is following the s approximately the same route from Europe to Dakar. Instead of starting in Paris, they're actually starting in Monaco. Um, that race was born out of the Dakar rally fans and participants who wanted the Dakar to go back to its roots so as not to confuse with Dakar in Saudi Arabia. Um, some people also prefer the African eco race because of the human rights violations happening in Saudi Arabia. But Betty is following both at the moment. Brabeck, an American, yeah. has a real chance. And I think he does. I think he did. It's over. <laughs> uh -huh. So Betty's in Toronto now. And what a great subject, Betty. So history hole on Paris Dakar. So and when I, I brought this up to Emma, she's like, well, you know, that's that's such a big topic. It's been going on for so many years. There's so many different, you know, places it's been. People have been in there, vehicles that race in it. So, Emma, you decided to narrow it down. What are we going to be talking about tonight? So, basically, I wanted to have a chat about the origins of the Dakar Rally. Because, really, we're, we're presented with this huge international rally now. But it's... It's the brainchild. It's the baby of one man. And so what I'm going to focus on are really the first six years of the rally, the first seven years of the rally. And we can talk a little bit about how it started, its roots, and, and what it grew into, and really what it became today and the influence it's had on us. So... Um, it all goes back to one man. It's a French guy. It's called Thierry Sabine. And Thierry Sabine is, um, or was, should I say, quite an accomplished motorcycle racer. You know, um, French motorcycle racing, dirt bike racing, has always had an element of long distance. I mean, this is going way back to the 60s. There's a lot of French territories in Morocco and... Africa. And so, you know, in the 60s and 70s, you know, these, these odd little races that would go from somewhere in France all the way down through Morocco, all the way down into Africa. And um, Terry Sabine was one of those guys that did rather well at it. And there's a legend of how the Dakar rally was born. And it's, it's kind of embellished, but back in 77, um, there was a rally that went from um, Algeria, uh, Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan, the Middle East, to Nice oh, in yeah. southern France. And uh, wow. Mr. Sabine was riding in it, and he got lost. Because, I mean, if you think about it, you're dealing with just vast expanses of brown stuff. To Nice, do you mean Tatooine? Yes. <laughs> 
Um, Not a lot of road signs, I imagine. Yes. So he got completely lost. And he ended up actually in the um, Dakar Desert in Senegal. Wow. However, he thought, you know, this is going to be a fantastic proving ground for long-distance off-road vehicles. And he was a motorcycle racer, so naturally he was immediately thinking about bikes. But just because of the, the, the size of this place, I mean, it would have been great for, for all vehicles. And indeed, it, that's what it became. The legend goes that, you know, the, the Paris-Dakar rally was born at that moment. But in truth, um, Mr. Sabine, you know, he'd really been thinking about this for many years previously and just trying to gel it all together. And I think perhaps that was the final piece in the jigsaw puzzle. And he made it happen. So we come to the very, very first race. And here's some, here's some numbers for you. It was held on Boxing Day, 1978. Do you know what Boxing Day is, darling? It's like Christmas for Canadians? No, yes, French. It's, it's the, what is it? It's the, it is the day after Christmas. Okay. It's December the 26th. and Everybody gets it, in fights with one another. Yes, exactly, because <laughs> your, your granny puts on her boxing gloves and smacks Uncle <laughs> Freddie in the teeth. Um, no, I mean, it, you know? it's... it's the the origins of Boxing Day go back to um, oh hundreds of years, but traditionally, uh, in the in the gilded stately homes of England, it was the day when the servants got served by the lord and lady. So mm. you know the roles were kind of reversed, and so anyway, so Boxing Day nineteen seventy eight, um, it started, and you know the early years were always my favourite part. Because we immediately, you know, whenever you say Paris-Dakar race, your mind immediately goes to sand dunes with some giant motorcycle doing these impossibly long jumps on sand dunes and being flat out. And that is true. But remember, it starts in Paris, Paris, France, in the middle of winter. So the start of the Paris-Dakar race usually was snow, slush, rain, freezing temperatures. And of course, if you're in a car, that's great. You turn the heater up. But if you're on a bike, that's what you start the rally in. And that's what I remember the most about it. So in the very first year, 182 competitors, of which... 74 were motorcycle riders. Wow. The route itself was 6,200 miles, and it's really taking part over 12 days. So it's about 500 miles a day. Yeah. Yeah, it's a 500-mile day, which it's is plenty. Um, I'd like to point out 500 miles a day on a on a modern bike on freeway is still a long day. Oh hell yeah! Yep. And this, and remember, so this is on, uh, not easy terrain, right? Exactly. Um, That's crazy. And in winter conditions, for a yeah. huge part of the of the race. That's why this is only the best of the best. Exactly, and that's what it became. Um, so it's twelve days. The attrition rate has always, from day one, even to this day, the attrition rates really hovered about 50%. However, on a bad year, 
80%, that's 80% of the competitors can drop out. Isn't that amazing? Um, Care to to guess how many lives have been lost over the years? 40 years. None? 40 years? Wrong, 70. Whoa. Wow. 70 people have died. Wait, how many people have died at Isle of Man over the last 40 years? Yeah, um, it's, that's getting up there as well. Um, but that's high-speed hey, road you racing. Know what? I, we should research that. Yeah. Um, but interestingly enough, and this is the crux of the Dakar rally. This is the absolute crux of it. 80% are amateurs. And we're going to revisit this over the next five minutes, and I'll tell you why it's, it's so important. So um, the winner... And I'm just going to deal with the motorbikes because guess what? We're a motorbike podcast. Um, Cyril Naveau, Yamaha XT500 mm-hmm. winner in 1979. Second place, Gilles Comte, Yamaha XT500. Third place, Philippe Vassar, Honda XL250. Wow. Nice. So, we go to 1980. Now, the numbers got up a little bit in 1980. They went from 182 to 216. And if you look at these early years, they're going up pretty incrementally. But um, Cyril Naveau, again, he won on his XT500. Michel Morel, XT500 Yamaha, second. And Jean-Noël Pinot. Yamaha XT500, first, second, and third. Nice. So So, um, uh, do you think this helps sell a lot of Yamahas? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, because this was an absolute showpiece. And before the the Super 10, there was the Tenere. Mm -hmm. And that was the number one selling bike in France. Now, let's put that into perspective a little bit. I'm not talking about the number one selling bike of a certain CC. I'm not talking about the number one selling road dirt trail bike. I'm talking about the number one selling motorcycle was the Tenere. Wow. Wow. So, you know, it had a huge influence. Interesting enough, in 1981, it's climbing still. We've got 291 competitors. Now the BMW is beginning to take over. The winning bike was a BMW R80, but XT500 Yamahas took second and third. Now, Cyril Naveau, he's back again. He wins in 1982, but he's changed now. Now he's on Honda XR 550, yeah. which is a single-cylinder bike. And then... Um, The XR550s did really, really well. But one thing I want to make absolutely clear, from 1979 until 1983, the French absolutely dominated. They crushed the motorcycles. And really, I'm looking at the stats now, um, going right up to present day, and there's an awful lot. There is an awful lot of French flags on here. Uh, 84 and 85, it was won by uh, Gaston Rahier, who's a Belgian. Um, 
Franco Pico came in third, Andrea Balestiere, they're both Italian. And it's just France, 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 France. Few Spaniards are doing quite well. Um, no Brits. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. So it's really been a very, very French event. So anyway, I was getting off track looking at the stats. So the reason why I think it was so successful, the winning formula, you needed a good machine. But the winning formula was this kind of almost like buccaneer-like attitude. I mean, you had to be a little bit crazy to race mm -hmm. in this race. Oh, yeah. And sheer bloody fortitude kept you going. And money. And so in a lot of ways, if you had factory support, of, sh of course that was an advantage. But it wasn't a supreme advantage. Um, a lot of independents have done very, very well in the race. All of those names I gave you were independents on the bikes. And then the cars as well. I've just breached touch on the cars. There was this couple called the Moreau Brothers. And the Moreau Brothers were racing little Renault 4s, which is a tiny yes. little mini-sized car with no <laughs> ground clearance, against no factory-entered Volkswagens. Now, guess what? The Volkswagens won, but not by much. Yeah. You know, and the Moreau brothers came in second. So it's always had that kind of swashbuckling, daring do air about it. Um, it. It climbed steadily. I mean, by 1982, it had doubled the numbers. It was now up to 382 competitors. And with still, you know, it's always been split less than 50% on motorbikes. I mean, there's a lot of vehicles that take part in this. You've got the motorcycles. You've got the cars, obviously. You've got the trophy trucks. Um, and the, they're, they're kind of different to the American trucks. These are kind of big military-style trucks. And then increasingly in later years, you see the quads coming in, which I can think of nothing which would tire me out more than riding a quad. <laughs> for so far um but of course 2001 everything changed and it 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 stopped being the paris dakar and they changed the route but we're dealing with the early years so 1986 really was the watershed year and it was quite tragic because the 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 man who basically he he invented the Paris-Dakar rally, was killed in a helicopter crash. Mm. And Thierry Sabine was no more. Wonderful. So that really was the obviously the end of a certain era. And from that point forward, it's become more of the vision of a group of people rather than the vision of one man. And... I think, you know, it's changed. I mean, I, th I, I think if Mr. Sabine saw what the, the, the car was now, he'd be absolutely horrified. Conversely, if he saw what the Africa Eco race wa would be now, I think he'd very much approve of that because it's far more in vain of what the original concept was. Um, so that's it. It's It's... 
always been a great proving ground for bikes. I know you want to talk a little bit more about the bikes and the bikes that were spawned, Liza. However, would you like to know what make the first car was that won in in the very first race? Oh, uh, I'll take a guess. Peugeot. No. No. Although it was a French driver. Oh, what was Range it? Rover V8. Ah. Wow. And I think that was the last time of Britain. <laughs> Let me have a look. No, actually, it, it uh, Range Rover V8 won again in 81. And then a lot of Mitsubishis, a lot of Citroën. Um, and you know what car won in 1986? Let's have a look. 86, it would have been a Porsche 959. Yes, outfitted for, oh, out, for off-road driving. It was an amazing exactly. vehicle. And the it, famous Belgian racing driver, Jackie X, came in second. So, um, very, very interesting race. Very, very interesting race. And what a great introduction to it. From Betty, thank you so much. I mean, it's always been on my radar. And... My memory of the Paris-Dakar races are those very, very early years. And we would set glued in front of the TV because, of course, it was the middle of winter. And we'd see these poor people just slipping and sliding away from the starting line on these impossibly large bikes. And you'd think, how the hell are they ever going to make it to the end of the street, let alone all the way down to Senegal? It was a wonderful event. Yeah, and I wanted to share a bit of the lineage of the motorcycles. Um, that there's roots uh, in a lot of bikes today to the Perry Dakar. Uh, most notably, my Africa Twin. Oh, yeah. You can trace that back to a Perry Dakar ba uh, bike. The tenor route goes through Africa. The Africa Twin, exactly. The, right. ten the Super Tenere today has its roots, as you said, from the Tenere, uh, KTM Adventure. Oh, yeah. That is a Perry-Dakar bike. Um, and then also you get, like, the Kagiva Elephant. And oh, I'm, I am so glad you mentioned the Kagiva Elephant, my favorite of <laughs> all of them. Of animal bikes. <laughs> yes. Um, but probably the most notable bike GS. The mm -hmm. BMW R80 GS. This was the grandfather of adventure bikes. This was the first. And if you notice, I'm holding up a model here. This is the Perry Dakar GS, the R80 GS. That's what it was designed for. Yeah. And the fact that the the current adventure bike trend and the GSs that everyone's riding and the Africa Twins and the Super Tens, it all gets traced back to Hold on you. the car. You are holding you are holding uh Gaston Rehier's nineteen eighty four winning bike. Nice. Yes. Because that's what is that two thirty five that bike? Two thirty five. So, yep. Yeah, that's Gaston Rehier. Yeah. So that is the 1984 winning bike. Look at the size of the fuel tank on that thing. It's 10 gallons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You need that out there in the desert. 
Can you imagine having a full tank and having it fall over? I oh. mean, you're simply not going to pick it. <laughs> I mean, can you, ri- you imagine riding on the sand with a full tank? I know. Yes. But I, I find it fascinating that that's what a lot of the bikes that we're riding today and that are around today are all traced right. back to being modified to be able to race in that race. Um, Bagel, I have a question for you. Yes. Have there been any scooters in the Perry Dakar? There have been scooters what? that have been in the Paris Dakar. No. Yes. Uh, in fact, I believe it was 1984, if I remember correctly. Or I'm sorry, no, 1980. Um, the uh, Vespa France, not the the parent company in Italy, but the French importers of the Vespa put together a team of four Vespa P200s that entered into the 1980 uh, Paris Dakar Rally. And they outfitted these bikes with an external, very large air filter. Um, they put on some big, extra big lights on the front. Um, <clears throat> and they, they did a couple of other, you know, uh, modifications to reinforce them and make them, you know, a little bit more sturdy. But um, <clears throat> the race was, as, as you mentioned, is a very brutal race. Um, two of the bikes were out of the race in within fairly short order. Um, the other two kept going. Uh, one bike died on the last day, very just short of the finish line, um, seized the engine and had to basically, basically push it over the finish line. I think they put it in the truck and brought it across. Um, the, the one bike did fit, did finish the race, but it, uh, it finished. It took so long for them to finish. It was after the race was already over that they crossed the finish line. Oh. So, so they finished, but it was not not technically counted, I think. But but in terms of the effort and and the just the the sheer willpower they put into making that effort to come come true, um, it was that was quite a uh, quite an amazing uh, event that they that they they put together um one of the main problems that they found out that they had with the bikes was the rear shock mount oh and you would think that with the vespa it would be you know the little wheels that would get them buried the in little the wheels sand. on the clearance yeah right you know stuff like that um and i'm sure that was a challenge but the the real problem was the rear shock mount now it mounted directly to the motor well it's mounted directly to the motor but it wasn't the the motor mount that was the problem is the mount on the frame uh-huh. because if you recall the vespa has a monocoque chassis which means it's just pressed steel aren't so, technically all men monocoque um yes. technically yes <laughs> there might be a few who aren't i don't know i haven't what duo cocks possibly <laughs> i've <laughs> seen pictures i've heard of ah! them. <laughs> but <laughs> the vespa is a monocoque <laughs> and so the the rear shock mounts to a um, it's basically a rubber mounted plate that bolts onto the frame, and so that way you've got a little bit of of cushion, so it's not metal on metal with all of the every hit on the road. But the problem that they ran into was, and this this works just fine when you're when you have both tires on the ground. The problem they ran into is in the Paris Dakar, you're often catching air, and with the Vespa you have a unit motor and swing arm design Mm -hmm. that is very dense and kind of heavy. So when you launch the bike in the air, the rear shock goes, drops to its full extension when that wheel 
when that wheel leaves the ground. Right. So when it does that, and it does it usually in very quick order when you launch. So the strain that that puts on the mount point was enough to to weaken the metal so much that the 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 frame around the shock mount just ripped right out on these bikes. That's what took wow. out most of the bikes in this race. And so the, the the bike would go up in the air, the shock mount would punch punch through the frame and they'd come down and the shock could go punch another hole through the frame, it could lodge between the tire and the frame. You know, it just wreaked all kinds of havoc. It could so, go through the dual seat and stick them up the bum. Um, that maybe if it came down really hard, it could. <laughs> so, so they yeah, that was that ended up being the weak link for these bikes, and I'm sure that was uh, that was a very uh, very uh, well learned lesson. But uh, but the fact that one bike actually made it all the way through was was really impressive. I thought. Have they continued to run scooters? No. So that was in and out. <laughs> That's no, because they're death traps. <laughs> no, it's, death it's, it's possible that someone else may have ridden another Vespa at some point, but I wasn't able to find any any information about it. Look, I, I think for anyone to run the Perry Dakar on a motorcycle, you have to be crazy. And oh, yeah. to run it on a scooter, you have to have the double crazy gene. Oh, definitely. And and also I have to I have to mention, and this is not exactly motorcycle related, but there have been some absolutely bizarre vehicles that have been entered into the Paris Dakar. Um, for example, somebody ro- entered a Rolls Royce Corniche that was all outfitted with with off road tires and and you know lights and everything. Um, they were disqualified because they made an illegal repair on the route at some point <laughs> that was not permitted, and they got tossed out of the race. It wasn't uh, was because all- they ran out of gray poupon. That may, well, actually, they, they did mention that the grape <laughs> one was removed before the race for weight reasons. <laughs> um, there was also a Jules 2 Proto. If you have any idea what that is, it's sort of an El Camino styled car with six wheels. And uh, that was entered in 1984. Uh, it's powered by a 3.5 liter Chevy V8 with a Porsche 935 transmission. Um, and uh, that one what was was taken out from it because the chassis broke wow and somebody also entered a, a renault du chevaux the little yeah you know Citron. Tiny Citron. Tin, tin can of a car uh with two motors one in the front and one in the back and it did really well until the the rear of the frame broke from the weight of the motor <laughs> so. and i mean i think that's an exhibition of just how pounding yeah, the pounding vehicles taken. Now I'm I'm yeah. curious. I don't know if you guys have seen. Uh, hey, knock, you've joined us. How are you? Hey. So, I, I don't guys have seen. There's a story of this guy who was out in a desert on a Duchevaux and the car broke down, mm. and he was able to yes. cobble parts together and make a motorcycle out of it and ride yes. it to safety. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you think that would count if you got into the Perry Dakar in a Duchevaux and you ended on a mo- motorcycle? That- that might have been considered an illegal repair. <laughs> illegal I'm just going to guess, you know, go out on a limb. <laughs> but but the interesting story about that, uh, that, in, that one where the guy built the motorcycle out of yeah. Duchevaux, I think he could not get it back into France because it was no longer a four-wheeled vehicle that it was registered as. <laughs> and they wouldn't let him bring it back in. <laughs> he had to, like, scrap it or something. That's funny. <laughs> or, not- it was, or maybe it was when he got to a border, they wouldn't let him across because it no longer matched the registration. Well, hey, I wanted to thank uh, both of you for giving us a nice history hole in Perry Well, Dakar. I am uh, going to end on um, on a on a very jolly note. Um, it's all been sweetness and light so far, but 
there is a darker side to the uh, to the original Paris Dakar, oh, and yeah. that is, you know, the environmental impact. Mm. And there's been frequent criticism, and it seems <laughs> um, there seems there's a, there's a French song called um, Saint-Saëns Connard sur la ligne de départ. And it's from a French singer called Renaud. Oh, yeah, it was released that in 1991. Yes, yeah, sing along now, everybody <laughs> together. And it's, <laughs> and, um, it's 500 assholes at the starting line. <laughs> so, you know, it hasn't been without criticism over the years because, I mean, you know, you've got 500 vehicles tearing through. You know, Virgin Land. It is. It is going to make a bit yeah. of an impact. But, yeah, and, and, um, and, and I have to wonder if they're now calling it the Eco Africa Tour. Is that like some kind of greenwashing, or are they actually running eco ecologically friendly vehicles of some kind? I don't know. Hmm. Um, I think we're going to have to or... save that for a future history hole because there's a. We only covered up to 1985. This is true. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we'll save that for another another episode. How about that? All right. So yo, ding dong, what you up to? Oh, nothing. Just getting back on. Just finished another Zoom call with a friend, and so I'm in a Zoom call with you losers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I love you, people. So uh, how, how's the, how's the the injuries? How are they healing? It's it's good. I think it's like it's getting better much sooner now. You know how like it uh, it's. It's, it seems like it's accelerating in terms of its, of its healing. Oh. So hopefully I, I actually sat on the bike today and Ooh. moved my shoulders around. I was like, oh, okay. Sat on the I green remember bike. remember this feeling. Yeah. And uh, it was cool because on the green bike, I have kind of more of my weight forward. So like I felt like I could hold my weight up a little bit more. I don't know what the story is on the XR. But uh, yeah, so far so good. I'm thinking maybe next week I'll go for a nice mellow ride and see what happens. Oh, but, take uh, it easy, knock. Yeah. And don't pull any fucking wheelies. No, no, no. Uh, I'll probably start riding my bicycle first, and just to get my you know muscle memory back. Wait, the, you have a ride. bicycle, and I've been giving I you rides. Do. You asshole. <laughs> well, you need two well, hands to ride a bicycle up, too. Man. Come on, it's a different situation. Plus, my toe was fucked up, remember? Yeah. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you're getting better. Yeah. And you'll get on the bike soon. Yes, that is the plan. Nice. Um, Hey, uh, Emma Bagel, I sent both of you some emails to read. By yes. any chance did you get them? I wanted to I make sure, Emma, that you got a chance to read the one I sent you. It's a little bit long, but it's quite pertinent. Yes, it is. <laughs> Hmm. It is. Would you like me to read it now? Yeah. Yeah, this is from um, Brett Farrell. And um, Brett writes, um, just listened to your last show and thought I had to write in and share the waves that you create. <laughs> um, being a longish time 1969 TR6 owner, um, that's a very, very good bike. Um, since 2013 in Montreal, hmm. When I built it from uh, the old basket of parts. We've all done that, I think, Brett. Um, mm -hmm. I was thinking of something new, and I'd been looking around for a good while. Last year, when Auntie Emma related her Trident crash story, <laughs> it made me look at them in a new light. Um, they'd never appeared on my radar before, and I sort of knew they existed, but not much more. Um, 
I got more and more interested. They were different and cool, but similar enough DNA to the twins to feel comfortable. You nailed it there because there is nothing like a trident. But there's this familiarity if you're used to English stuff. Um, after staring at adverts and magazines for a couple of hours uh, every evening during lockdown, my wife said, just buy one already. Good <laughs> girl. wore her down. Um, <laughs> I looked at getting an import from the UK, going as far as paying a few dodgy guys over there to check out the bikes for me. Eventually, with the cost of import duties, I decided to bite the bullet and buy a Trident here in Switzerland. Oh, blimey, he's in Switzerland. Um, Using the UK imported price as leverage, still for a price that would make your eyes water over there in the US, where great examples routinely trade for about 7K. I think I know what you paid for this, Fred. However, um, the seller lied a little too much, but thankfully it is rather unmolested and has great British styling in Corona yellow. Um, mm. What he's saying is the side of the tank is co- the color of pee pee. Um, <laughs> it's a lovely color. <laughs> this is what I had to deal with on the way home from the seller. Oil coming out of the air filter, covering the back of the bike and leaking head gasket rockers. Bike would stumble when opening the throttle at highway speeds. Struggled to keep up with highway traffic. Felt like it was running super rich. Well, yeah, there's something very wrong there because tridents are not slow. Um, The seller claimed I thrashed the bike when actually the oil tank was overfilled and the sump plate was put back on the wrong way round. Head bolts all needed about half a turn to get back to torque. Pilot jets were blocked, of course, and the float levels were way high. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got 10,000 kilometers on it, tires dating from 1995. I would get those checked if I were you. Um, hoping it'll all work out in the end. Compared to the TR6 where everything had been damaged and messed with over the years, it's nice to find the uh, fasteners and adjusters are still in the original condition. Um, hope to have it back on the road in a week or two and get a chance to really test it out and do some European touring when the violet blows over. How about a Trident history hold? Hint, hint. And he sent us a picture. Um, there's a few pictures. However, there's a picture of a child, of a child who uh, Brett is claiming is his go. daughter. And I can see nice. the family resemblance resemblance however the child is holding her nose <laughs> and um and apparently nina who is the is the uh um uh, child's name who has got i've got to say who's got fantastic tra- taste in trousers um she says it's stinky she must have known about the oil problem a future mechanic i've got to be honest with you brett she sounds the most sensible out of all of us However, um, what Brett has got is a very unmolested example of an extremely handsome Triumph T150V in um, black with a piss yellow, (laughs) jaundiced yellow uh, metallic sides to the tank. Very, very handsome looking bike. And it looks completely stock. So, um, did you see the issue he messaged? Yeah, about? somebody's been spraying the inside of the air filter with <laughs> silver paint. What the? What? I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even know. I Why? just. Maybe they picked up I'll the wrong can. I tell you what I think. I tell you what I think happened. 
is at some stage somebody might have just sprayed the whole air filter box with silver paint without masking it. I mean, who knows what the hell people do? I mean, really. I've seen some absolute horror stories. Um, But let's talk about Trident's just briefly. That's a a cool bag. Yeah, look at that. Hello, Nina. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Yes, you... Yes, your daddy's bike is extremely stinky. Um, <laughs> there is nothing on the road that sounds as good as a trident. And that's the end of that sentence. I'm going to say Bagel's Heinkel sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty good in a in a sort of meaty generator. But it's only one cylinder. Way. Yeah, I mean, your, your Heinkel sounds like a meaty generator. But... There is nothing on the road that sounds like a trident. And you're going to say, well, hang on a minute. My XS750 sounds good. And, you know, Triumph Speed Triple sound good. And, Mm. you know, and they do. But there's a difference. And there's a big difference. And it's a difference why... Overhead cam twins sound very different to pushrod twins. And the Trident is a pushrod triple. And it is so fucking meaty sounding. They're a wonderful sounding bike. Even if you even if you quiet them down, because stock, they were not loud. But you start that thing up and you're like, dang, this thing sounds good. They are meaty sounding. Um I've actually got into them in a big way. And, you know, my project's coming along. So oh. thanks for the great email, Brett. And I, I'm absolutely thrilled. I mean, for me, I just figured out, I mean, I love Japanese bikes. I love Italian bikes. But my heart is always going to be with british bikes and if i don't have a british bike in my life it's not going to be long until i get one and my trident not the one that tried to kill me the one the one i've got now it's going to be different this time i can change him um you know it came to me at the right time and the right price and i'm gonna build it into a bike that hopefully doesn't try to kill me and um it might actually become the replacement for the Goozy. Well, we'll just have to see about that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, we'll see. I've got a long way to go because there's a lot of fabrication going on. I mean, Brett's is a perfect example of a bone stock bike. And very handsome it is too. Um, The only thing I do not like about stock tridents and the same can be said of Norton Commandos. They have 19-inch front wheels and they have 19-inch rear wheels, which means tall and skinny on the front, tall and skinny on the rear. And, you know, it's kind of, it's almost like a rugby player wearing ballet shoes. It's got that kind of tippy-toey look. And a lot of people like it because it gives it a very tall sort of, it, it's a very tall profile. I've always preferred something a little chunkier, and of course, my Trident's going to have 17s on it with radials, which will change the look completely. Um, but God, what a great-looking bike! What a fantastic-sounding bike! So, good one. 
There you go. Hey, no, I, look, I look forward. I hope he writes in and tells us how good it runs when he's fixed all the shit stuff. Knock, <laughs> <laughs> did you get that email I sent you to read? I did. I got it right here. Oh, wait. I closed the window that I had it on. Oh, here, we geez, here we go. Give me a second. For God's sakes. And Bagel, if you didn't okay. figure out, you're queued up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this one's called The Wee Bandito. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. This is from our friend Patrick. Hey, it's Patty from and, uh, New Jersey again. Mission yeah. update. Hey, Patty. Have, hi, Patty. Hey, um, Patty. I have failed Emma's army. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, no you can't up. fail this of Emma's army. <laughs> <laughs> you get to demote it to latrine cleaner or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Clean those carbs. Yeah. Yeah, I, have, uh, I gave up working on the Bandit 400. Uh, I could get it to run okay on the bench, but it would fall flat fully when when fully assembled. Uh, ProRent tells me it was issue with a fuel uh, vacuum line. The petcock had no clamp, was not fully opening due to an air leak. Lesson mm. learned. Uh, you also suggested I make the leap to an RC51 project that came up at the beginning of this COVID nonsense mm-hmm. um, to help clear my mind. Uh, to, to help clear my head from working in the ICU, I got it and would work in oh. the garage. Yeah. Nice. Oh, great. Yeah, I got it. And uh, you can see he was living at home at the time. I'm home now and I'm symptom free and I've been able to resource uh, all my parts except a set of headlights and a fuel tank. Yeah, I'd imagine those fuel tanks and the headlights are hard to find. Just, hmm. They're just kind of unique looking, you know? And mm-hmm. Yes. They're kind of wide too. I'd imagine they get damaged pretty easily in wrecks. But um, uh, so close to getting a bucket list bike on the road. Nice. Uh, thanks for the constant motorcycle chat and shenanigans. Good luck and stay safe. I hope Emma is not embarrassed of me. I can still apply at Emma's Army sticker when they come. Uh, heal up well, Knox. Thank you. And P.S. My bike cat will be up to five when the war pig is done. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> I, live a, I live an hour by, outside of New York City. And if you think dogs are on the right coast, need a place crash or a bike ride hit me up uh sign patty cool um, thank thanks you. patty okay and i just want to make it clear that patty is an honorary member of emma's army nothing will great give me greater pleasure than sending patty out mm-hmm. as emma's army sticker the moment they arrive but um my printer is still uh, you know he's he's still on lockdown poor bastard yeah so i think he's gonna get out he might actually be in prison. So um, <laughs> I'm going to see if I can post his bail tomorrow and actually get things moving. Cool. Because I haven't just got the Emma's Army stickers on order. I've got the special Emma's Face stickers on order. Oh, so if anybody's no. very, very, very good, oh, I'm going to send them a picture of Emma's face to stick on their bikes. <laughs> nice. Oh, it's, 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 it's very good. It's a great sticker. So talk yeah, among so, yourselves. I'm, I'm <laughs> going right. online. I'm actually on eBay right now looking at RC51 tanks. There's only two of them. They're both like beat to shit. Mm. <laughs> and they probably want a million dollars. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah. And no, uh, this one's like $250 plus $50 shipping. And Perfect. the other one is just like ugh, 175 bucks, but it's all just smashed up the hell. Oh, Jeez. God. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. Oh, no, Emma, you're trying to show us something. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, jeez. No, I'm getting in. Just stop your noise. (laughs) (laughs) 
going on? Ah, excellent. What's going on? What happened? What did I miss? So I, I will be getting, I will be getting fifty. Of those to send out to special peeps. Why are you so angry at that photo? (laughs) No, that's the no, it's okay. Well, that's like you just had like bad curry. You're like, this is not what I ordered. (laughs) Send this back. I ordered the Vindaloo. You prefer that one? Nice. No, I think that's the Emma's getting it on face. You know, it's the Emma, ah, give, it, give it the beans face. That's, yeah, that's the look go. on your face when somebody says, drill the jets out. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's the drill the jets out face. It's like, what? Jeez. Oh, Don't right. do that. Bagel, you got yes. an email there. And I do. you have an accent ready, I hope. Oh, yeah. This is from uh, Kyle Thiessen. And uh, Kyle doesn't say exactly where he's from, but he is from Canada. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure he is. What a hoser. (laughs) So uh, Kyle says, uh, hello, Misfits. Hey, Kyle. I I recently came across a dilemma that I thought I might thought might make for a good conversation topic on the podcast. One one that listeners can probably relate to. Last week, I acquired a new project bike, a 1985 Kawasaki LTD 250 that I picked up for a grand total of $100 Canadian, about $37 US. (laughs) Can't go wrong with that. (laughs) I bought it sight unseen and had a friend pick it up for me. My plan was to fix it up and flip it, hoping to make a couple bucks while I'm out of work due to the Rona. Of course, when I finally saw it in person, it was not as mechanically sound as I had initially thought. The whole wiring harness has been cut in the middle, and the sprocket shaft bearing has lost most of its balls, just to name a couple of issues. Um, my, My question to the misfits is, in your experience, at what point is a project gone for too far gone, and are you better to dump it or part it out? Thanks for your opinion, and I hope to hear your answers on the podcast this week. As always, keep up the good work and stay healthy. I hope to come down there for another visit once we are allowed to travel again. Kyle from Canada. Hey, Kyle. Kyle. Do you guys mind if I take this one? Yeah, do it. So um, I've been in this exact boat. Um, I've fixed bikes up that were basket case like this, and I have gotten rid of bikes that were like this and i'll tell you what the difference is um it depends on where you are in your journey as a mechanic if you are early on in your journey this is the perfect bike because you're gonna learn so much but you're not gonna depreciate the value right Mm yeah so you can tear it apart and and learn on it but you have to remember a bike like this isn't about the end product it's about everything you learn in the process. Okay. Now, later on, it for me, it became, once you've done it like two or three or four or five times, it's not about the journey. It's about you're doing it for the end product. And then it right. matters. Do you do you have a use for that bike? Or do you, can you get value out of that bike or resell that bike? Mm-hmm. So it depends on where you are in your journey as a mechanic. And if you still want to learn and tackle something new that you haven't challenged yourself to do before, this is the perfect bike to do it on. Would you guys agree? Yes, I, I would think so. And in a 1985 Kawasaki LTD 250, <clears throat> I, as far as I know, is not a particularly sought after bike. So that's not something you're really going to have to worry about. You can completely fuck it up and who cares? You're at a hundred bucks and you've learned it's a little one. It's a little one lunger. It's oh, not okay. similar to a Yamaha Exciter. Right. Sorry, sorry. So, like, if you spend a hundred bucks and you get this bike going, and you maybe put maybe fifty dollars into it, 
It'll, the the feeling of you starting up that motor is gonna feel way more than one hundred fifty dollars. Uh, oh yeah, it'll be yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be satisfaction. Yeah, it'll be brilliant. Yeah, and you know, and and the the problems that he talked about, you know, a, a cut wiring harness is is a huge. That's a huge suck because why would somebody do that in the first place? And it's you know a yeah. pain in the ass to have to replace. But it's a good experience to learn how to do that if you can find a you know maybe if you pick up a parts bike or find a, a wiring harness somewhere. Or here's a challenge: building your own wiring harness. I got yeah. something. Oh, or, for God's sake! You're, or, you're missing the obvious point. You buy a soldering gun some solder and some heat shrink yeah and you do each individual wire because even at its thickest point even at its thickest point that wiring harness is only 20 wires thick and you could join you could strip back solder and heat shrink 20 wires in a couple of hours yeah and i was gonna say that that is good practice for soldering wires right because the last one he does will be brilliant the first one looked like a bird crapped all over it the last one it'll look like a little tiny chrome bullet it'll look fantastic well it helps that the soldering iron gets nice and hot after the first couple wires too so and um just go on to youtube look uh look for videos on how to solder and electronics videos i mean there's just so much resource out there you know yeah the other the good um, news is the ltd 250 it's not a complicated bike um This is great to learn on, too. I was going to say the other reason to do it is actually one of the reasons the whole Recycle Garage was started um, was to keep these old bikes on the road. And so don't look at doing it to make money off of it. If you are able to sell it and make back all the money you spent, but -hmm. you've now put that bike back on the road to somebody who couldn't afford a great bike, but they have something that they can ride around and be proud of, great. You've done a service to the motorcycle yeah. community. Mm-hmm. So there you go. You guys like that answer? I think yeah. it's perfect. So um, quit blubbering and get busy. Get to work. <laughs> so uh, get to work. Got one. Want to hit that thing running by next week? <laughs> get get a get a big cup of Tim Hortons and uh, and go to town. <laughs> yeah. You know, you hoser. My favorite. My favorite evening ever is. Um, uh, um, some nice garlic fries and a moosehead beer. Mm. Can't beat it. <laughs> or yeah, canoe beer. Moosehead or beer. Poutine. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> All right, I got one more email. And we we need some advice on this one. He says, uh, this is from Dave and Bend. He says, okay, Liza. Are you sure it's not from Bend in Dave? Yes. He says, okay, Liza, you're scaring the shit out of me. In the last two episodes, you mentioned never buy a 90s BMW. Uh Well, I recently picked up a 97 R1100R with hard cases, crash bars, custom seat, BMW windshield with only 21,000 miles for $32.50. It is Mm -hmm. immaculate, handles great, and it's the less common Arctic green. No typical surge and the five speeds aren't affected by the clutch spline issue. Did I make an error yep. in judgment? I know the old saying that there's nothing more expensive than a cheap BMW. I'm sure you and Emma have an opinion on this. And, uh, oh, yeah, get well, knock. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, Appreciate it. Yeah, we have said don't buy a 90s BMW. I'm you a little, said that. I said that. <clears throat> um, and I'm a little concerned at 
the price that's paid only because I think it's a ticking time bomb. You might get three months out of it. You might get 10 years out of it. You yeah, might get 50,000 miles out of it. You might get 500 miles out of it. Yeah, but that's an analogy for life, darling. That's yeah. the same as life. What he needs but, to do is he needs to change the oil, change the oil, pump up the tires, and get riding and enjoy it. And just understand that he's riding a stately old Teutonic girl and treat her like the German queen mother, and he's going to have years of enjoyment out of that thing. Years. The thing about these BMWs is I find that they're great for high mileage, but not great for uh, for long years. Right. And <clears throat> while it's running good, put as many miles on it as you can. You can run those things yep. up to 200,000 miles. I mean, they're a great mm -hmm. bike. But when something goes bad, it may be an expensive fix. That's well, and, the thing. And then the thing, too, is that this bike is low miles, which means it's probably sat for a long time. And from what I remember you were talking about these is that the electrical system is the weak point. And a bike that's sitting, especially if, and he's in Bend, so there's a lot of moisture up there. <laughs> You know, that can wreak havoc on electrical connections over time. He'll be fine. And if I could remind you that John Dalton has been running that um, 1200C on a complete shoestring mm -hmm. and has done some quite complex issues for no money at all and yeah. minimum effort, including doing the shaft seals in the transmission, the shaft seal in the uh, final drive unit, it's never had any electrical fault problems with it. Um, and that thing's a 1998. Mm. You know, mm. so, um, yeah, I mean, any complex bike. Yeah, it's just... Um, can have complex problems. That's the thing. These bikes were made right. for high mileage. I remember on my 96 R1100RT, I had to change the battery. Emma, have you changed right. the battery on one of these before? Yeah. You have to take off almost all of the bodywork. <laughs> and then you have to pull the air box out to get to the uh to, to the battery. Like it wasn't yeah. simple. That's because this thing is designed for aero for air uh ergonomics and mm -hmm. aerodynamics. I mean, it's a, an immaculate machine, which means it's not made for easy access and quick repairs. Mm -hmm. That's right. it. It's well, made for uh, sending it to the dealership and having them deal with it. That yep. is true. But, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, I like my Jags. Everybody knows I love my Jags mm -hmm. as well as my bikes. Mm -hmm. And Jags are very, very complex cars. And what when a Jag goes wrong, oh, my God, mm. a Jag can go <laughs> really wrong. It'll, it'll, you know, turn your hair gray. But, Prince of Darkness. The thing is, it's the same principle as this bike. Whenever I start getting scared about my Jag and thinking, you know, what could go wrong? I think, so what? It's a four grand car. It doesn't look like a four grand car, but it's a right. four grand car. If the worst happens, I can, and it's not going to be the end of the world. Three and a half grand is a chunk of money. But let's be honest with you here. It's not a massive amount of money. It's not even going to get you halfway to a new 250. So yeah. my advice to him, 
ride it, enjoy it, stack the odds in your favor, make sure the tires are fresh and have got air in them, make sure the oil's mm-hmm. fresh, keep on top of it, and just ride the crap out of it and enjoy it. It's yeah. not a high-dollar bike. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I mean, you could definitely just keep tabs on what you're spending on it, and then, uh, like, like Emma said, enjoy it as much as you can, you know, and when you reach a point where, like, yeah, I don't want to put any more money into it, and it's, yeah. it's not a big deal to get rid of, you know? The yeah. same Sometimes thing... Yeah. The same thing will kill his bike that's going to kill my Jag, is that the engine's going to be great, the transmission's going to be great, there's going to be a small electrical component mm-hmm. that goes mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. And that's the heartbreak. Yeah. That's, that's the, the heartbreak. Yeah, the All heartbreak the huge supply will have been dried up, and you're just going to look at it, and you're going to say, do I want to <clears> spend three grand on an electrical box the size of a packet of cigarettes? And mm-hmm. then you say yes or no. It's as simple as that. And this is you what I've seen get, happen. You can get caught out like that with cheaper bikes. I did Bagel, a killer deal, on a Honda CT110, mm-hmm. and Bagel fell into the trap. Yeah. Because I said to him, <laughs> Bagel, this thing is a breaker. Break it. it's a parts bike for your passport and bagel was but but it's too good to part out (laughs) yes which is what everyone up to that point has been doing it is not too good to part it out it's a part outer it's as simple as that you know and some bikes some bikes are like that but see and i think that is the pitfall because a lot of people who have a bmw they take care of it. They keep it clean. They keep it indoors. You don't see many roached out old BMWs. But what you see is a well-maintained, with good condition, with some catastrophic seal or box or something. Oh, all you got to do is replace this bearing seal or something. But that mm-hmm. will cost the value of the bike to replace. And right. now you're like, oh, but it's such a good-looking bike and everything's fine with it. Is it worth the investment? And then... When you've done it, you have an old bike that you've spent as much in as you would have for like a seven-year-old, uh, you know, Kawasaki Versus that can outperform. But you know it. what? All bikes are going that way now. Yeah. Every yep. single bike on the road is going that way. Would you like to know how much an ECU for your Africa Twin is? Thousand bucks, eight hundred, seven. Oh, keep going. Really. Oh my God! Really? Wow! Oh, because ABS and all that gnarliness is tied to it. There huh? you go. There's everything. So yeah. you know, it's it's and it's okay now because it's a ten thousand dollar bike. Yeah. So the maths is clear. All right. So Emma, how about this? Let's let's do him a favor. <clears throat> is there are there any components on that bike that might go wrong, like an ABS brain, something like that, that he should be keeping an eye out for and collect along the way if he finds one at the right price. Look, it's the same rules that apply to his bike as applies to every single bike on the road. Keep the oil changed. Keep Look after the engine. Don't baby it along with a shitty battery. And mm-hmm. ride Keep it. the battery's going, replace it. <clears throat> and don't put a frigging dime store battery in it and ride it. it ride it use decent it. components what do decent components mean good quality oil genuine filters bmw owned brand batteries or xide uasas you know whatever bmw specify as a battery that's how you protect the charging system on a bike 
people run into problems because they put these crappy AutoZone batteries on their bikes and the charging system's like, what the hell is this shit? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you start getting voltage spikes, and that takes out the ABS unit and takes out the ECU and takes out the reg rec and fries your <laughs> alternator. And yep. yes, there are design faults in that bike. There are design faults in every single bike on the road. And the more I complex forgot, you make it, the more. Yeah, exactly. I lost count in the early 90s of the amount of Honda CBR 1000 Hurricanes that came into my shop. The most gorgeous bikes with just cam chain noise that would make your hair stand on end. <laughs> Honda updated that cam chain tensioner seven or eight times and they never got it right. Oof. Mm -hmm. You know? Wow. Um, and it was just a fault of the bike. And, you know, if you had a CBR 1000 Hurricane, you had the long-distance Tourer Deluxe. I mean, they're wonderful things to ride. But they're either the cam chains are either rattling or they're about to rattle. And it's as simple as that. Talk yep. about Suzuki charging systems. You know, Suzuki haven't made a decent charging system in 50 years. Why start now? <laughs> I actually had a Jixa 750 come yeah. down to the shop a month ago with the reg rec on fire. Yeah. It was actually on fire. And wow. the guy said, this smells funny. And I'm like, yeah, it's on fucking fire. You let the smoke I, out. I think it's a conspiracy between Honda and Suzuki and big reg rec. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the reg rec cartel. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. All bikes, all bikes have got faults. You know, wouldn't it be great if bikes were perfect like us humans? Exactly. Because yeah. yeah. we're all perfect, right? Right. That's why we make perfect bikes. No, you know, I yeah, like BMWs. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's you're dealing yourself a deck of cards. Unless you're buying a brand new bike with a warranty, you're still not off the cards because oh, let no. me tell you something. If you go into a dealership and you throw 25, 30 grand on your brand new BMW, you would better have it serviced on schedule if you want that warranty. And that's yeah, going to cost you probably more than our friend paid for his bloody bike in the first place. <laughs> so you pay your money and take your choice. Easily. It's that reminds three... me of that joke, you know, that by that BMW joke. What's the cheapest part on the BMW motorcycle? It's the owner. Yes. <laughs> and the same applies to Ducati owners. I've never met a cheaper <laughs> bunch. But, you know, it's, it is what it is. He's riding a three grand bike. And three grand is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But let's put this into perspective. <clears throat> Go down your dealership with three grand in your pocket and see what you can ride out there with. Yeah, for sure. A KLR. Sure. Nothing. What? <laughs> a KLR. KLR. <laughs> you can't even get a KLR for three grand. KLRs are five grand. Oh, yeah. no used one. You can. No, I'm talking about three grand. Yeah, a used one. Yeah. Used grand, three grand gets you a lot. But it's not even going to buy you a new monkey bike. It's not yeah. even going to buy you a new Grom. Nope. And he's riding a bike that you could potentially ride across America. You could get a Benelli. Might get you a small Kimco. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right, you Emma, know. simmer down, simmer down. We're not attacking BMWs. <laughs> I'm just attacking high-tech advanced bikes that get aged. 
can well, be high cost dollars to fix. That's it. Every bike made in the last six or seven years, with the exception yeah. of KLR 650s. <laughs> so you're telling <laughs> me uh, I got about uh, 12 years before I got to sell my Africa Twin. You know, <laughs> in 12 years' time, I'm not entirely sure uh -huh. whether you, or certainly I, I'm going to be speaking coherently. <laughs> I think I'll be drooling down my shirt in the corner of some <laughs> old people's home in 12 years' time. <laughs> uh, well... That may be true, but I can tell you what I'm going to be doing August 14th through 16th. Oh, tell me. I'm going to be watching the Black Hills Moto Film Festival like you guys. Oh, hey. call the yes. blimeys. Indeed. Yeah, so hey, this is just a reminder that uh, my next uh, venture, the Black Hills Moto Film Festival, um, is happening August 14th through 16th. It's going to be right. three days of films that we're going to be posting. And this is an online event, and better yet, it is free. Sweet. What do you say? Free. That is true. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, because of well, COVID. Well, that's a number between two and four, isn't it? <laughs> free. If you're in London. Uh, Why? Well, well, it's free, isn't it? It's like two, three, four. <laughs> um, so, but you still have to get a ticket to uh, to attend this event. It's going to be hosted on YouTube, so you have to have a ticket so you can get access to it. But if you go to Rev Sisters, R E V Rev Sisters dot com, and you can click on Film Festival, then click on Tickets, and you can get a ticket to this event and uh, we've been working hard at curating it um i think last week you guys saw the trailer that i created a little blend of some of the movies i'm gonna make another one um but we got we've got dude we got cool stuff we got really good stuff um yeah. and we keep getting new submissions it's like it's getting harder and harder to decide mm. we've got films we've got films from moin khan uh, oh, wow. We've got Ooh. films from the Handsome Asians. Did, did you say how many films there are? What's the cap on it again? I think I asked the last time. You guys weren't sure yet. Well, it's not about how one. many. It's how many minutes. Because we have everything from oh, got it. little okay, short yeah. films to full length. You know, From like five minutes to two hours. Right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> so we've got so many great submissions. We're having to... I mean, it's a good problem to have too many good films to choose from. For sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a blend of everything you can imagine, from uh, scooters and, and travel to adventure riding to dirt riding to historical to uh, hooligans, uh, all everything. Custom builders. Yeah. We're excited. So again, nice. go to revsisters.com and you can find your, your tickets, free tickets there. Um, Nock, I wanted to ask you mm. real quick before we, we bump out of here. Yeah. How's, how's your project going? You haven't been working on your project, have you? No, I haven't. I still need to change the steering head bearing on the green bike, uh, which what I was planning to do until I got in this whole situation. But um as far as projects go, they've been on hold since the whole furlough at work thing. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, like that, that one bike that I bought from Rich. Yeah, you got that Versus project. Yeah, it's still sitting there. I have a front end that I could use temporarily as a roller uh, to make it into a rolling chassis, but I still need a swing arm. And I've been looking on eBay to get myself a cheap uh, swing arm. Hmm. Yeah. Emma, you got a line on a Versus swing arm? 
I don't. Has that got upside down forks on it or conventional ones not? OEM upside down forks, but oh, they because yeah. I've got a set of fifty. I've got a set of forty-one mil triple trees that are yours for free if you want them. Uh, um, well, I actually have a ZX6R front end that I have. So oh, okay, that, that'll, that'll yeah, they have the steering same steering head bearing uh, dimensions as uh, the Versys. So and the length. Well, it's going to sit kind of nose down, isn't it? Because they're shorter, aren't they? Yeah, they are shorter, but I believe you could. Uh, drop the forks a little further down and raise it okay so, yeah i mean like the versus is a taller bike and it's definitely once it's assembled gonna turn a lot faster but at that point i'll, I'll just we'll have to figure something out you know so well, could you could you lower the rear an inch or so to help bounce i down? could yeah i could do that too yeah you can get and then sell it too. to a short person so look <laughs> i've already lowered it for you yeah. Well, How about I, have, that? I have got like 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 uh, concept sketches and drawings while I was during you know during this whole Rona thing where I, I right. downloaded like Illustrator and whatever and design programs were just messing with it. So you know it's got, it's kind of hard working out dimensions because it is the, the Trident. I've kind of got it sitting on a stand and I've, I'm I'm trying to get it sitting kind of where I want and trying mm -hmm. to figure out how long a forks I need for it. Because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I originally was going to use katana forks, but I think they're going to be too short, so I'll probably have to put bandit forks on it. Um, yeah, like the bike that I have is a complete basket case that's completely disassembled, so I couldn't take the frame out, take a photo of it, and you know, and and do some scaling. So I went online and just found some photos of that bike, and, and I just did some measuring based on yeah. Yep, I, I just scaled the front end, front wheels to 17, and then just, you know, did that and got a rough number of what they'd actually be, or the, right. the, the drawings would be, yeah. Yeah, good. But, no, it'll come out all right. Yeah, I think it'll be all right. Oh, cool. And then um, one last thing I wanted to share with everyone. Um, Bagel and I did a little, a little adventure yesterday to the town dump. Yeah, we had to go. Oh, you went to the dump. You should have said something. I got a bunch of dead ass tires, man. Yeah, yeah, oh. you should have said something. Yeah, I yeah. went. We had I had a bunch of tires here and just uh, just cleaning up. Um, so we did a little dump run, and boy, it is so hard not to come back with more stuff than what I dropped off. <laughs> it's it's the best place to go shopping for free, dude. Yeah. I just a reminder for people out there: if you have not been to your dump. You need to go check it out. It is a wonderland. Yeah, there was a, there was um, a big ass generator out there that that turned. Uh, I was yeah, to make that, but I don't have a need for it right now. Yeah, one of those big generators in the frame with the the gas tank on top, and it looks like it just been living outside, but yeah. it turned and everything was there. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think somebody just like, yeah, we don't need this anymore. Yeah, and there's a yeah. bunch of that like that high end chrome like kitchens like professional kitchen shelving. Yeah, the shelving units, you know, that slide down the the yeah the, the poles, uh, but it was kind of buried. So it was they threw it out. in and like bent some of the legs, yeah. but mm -hmm. you could have like pulled four good legs out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the great thing that I got that I did get from there is we found these four shop stools, yeah. metal, all metal shop stools with big f solid feet on the bottom and a wooden top. And 
like you can't bend these things. You can throw them. You can't bend them. They're solid. Yeah. And these, they these look are like these are like the kind of stools that you had in metal shop class. I think they come from like a like school, school metal shop or something. Right. And they're just tossed into the the metal pile. And yeah. these are perfectly good stools. Yeah, nothing wrong with them. Just some wear. Nothing wrong. Paint. You see, I see I see them as a drunk Emma in a cocktail dress stool. <laughs> <laughs> So that's it. I just want to remind people, hey, if you haven't been and you want a little project or you're looking for parts or yard art or just whatever, or you want to tinker, because we're all tinkerers. It was hard not to bring that generator back because it looked yeah. like we definitely could have got that running. Oh, totally. um, well, could have got the copper copper coils out of the you know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> take a trip to your town dump and the and the big secret here in Santa Cruz, our town dump is on some of the best real estate and it's up on the hill with amazing views of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Well didn't and didn't you say that it used to be a, a motocross track at one point? Uh no a road road racing track. Road racing. Oh wow. Yeah no. it has a history as a road racing track. Wild Exactly. One more thing, too, in terms of actually going out and visiting you, your dump, you should also know where the fuck your trash and your waste goes. It's, yeah. a, it's an important, like, forgive me if I sound like a fucking hippie, uh, uh, with a cycle, how the cycle works, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't just disappear. It goes somewhere, you know? So, yeah, it goes to a place, and it sits there, and yeah. Yeah. There were so many things thrown away that were perfectly good. I don't understand why people don't drop them off at Salvation Army. Like there was that nice metal, uh, looked like a plant stand, not bent, mm -hmm. no nothing. It was all night. I mean, I there was I was like there was a bicycle one. I'm like I almost dragged a bicycle out. I'm like ah, just, <laughs> uh. yeah, yeah. But the other cool thing about the Santa Cruz one, which I think is pretty unique, is the surfboard collection they have there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A very large surfboard collection. Yeah. yeah. All crack and waterlogged. <laughs> so that's it. Go visit the dump. You never know what you're going to find. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then I guess the last thing is a big shout out and thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters. Um, I have one i have one shirt left for the free patreon uh shirt it is a large mm. so i might i might have to do another batch or something i don't know i have to come up with something i was actually thinking of making some buffs what do you guys think how about some masks well buffs can be Ooh. used as a mask well, yeah. yeah that's true no buffs well, i mean uh are you gonna release it sometime in the summer i'd be pretty cool to have some kind of summer related item Winter, we'd be cool to have buffs, but summer, what do you think? Like sunglasses, hats? Um, Maybe one of those lightweight buffs for summer and for winter, like a, a more yeah. thicker kind of fleecy type of buff maybe. Or a hanky or something. I've actually been working on something that I thought would be really helpful for summer. Keep it a secret. I, I, might, I might be uh, bringing this out for Jim on our trip in two weeks. You know how mm -hmm. he's so worried about all the heat we're going to run into in like Utah and stuff? Mm -hmm. So I've been working on this thing, and it's basically it's a, it's a little bag on a long string, and you fill it with ice, and you tie it around your waist, and you let it just dangle down to your balls. And it's a ball cooler for men because that seems to be the biggest concern when you're going riding no your balls getting hot and sticky and if you no. can keep your balls cool 
then you can ride well, comfortably. What do you think? I'm it's riding. not about the temperature. It's about the moisture. And that oh. would make it worse. <laughs> oh, okay. But I think Knox I'm interested. This is still within the realm of like tennis balls and inner tube cut in half. <laughs> it's that kind of like sophistication. I'll, I'll keep working on my ball cooler. It was yeah. it was an idea. <laughs> you go get yourself some medicated fucking talcum powder, some of that mint shit. Just just not make know. sure it's not that Johnson's and Johnson shit though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you guys got uh, any big plans this week? No or man, just, maybe we start doing push-ups. You know, <laughs> <laughs> stay low, I'm stay a, safe. I'm gonna put oh, a tire yeah. on this. Yeah. Put your goddamn big heads. Put your goddamn masks on. Yeah, you know what? Let's yes, just take please. this last second to say, hey, um, we know we've been having a huge surge everywhere. Uh, Florida, I mean, watch out. They've been having like 9,000 new cases a day. Texas, yeah. California is so bad. I yeah. had a, a... Southern California. A Southern bagel. California. I don't know if... Did you meet Mukhtar in Pakistan? He was one of our drivers. I don't think so. He's been seeing the news about... California and all the the Rona and mm-hmm. the 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 looting and the riots mm-hmm. and he messaged me to make sure I was okay. Yeah, well, Aww. cause for concern, you know. Yeah, and you know, and and I got to say that that I can't emphasize enough how important it is for everybody to please distance yourselves, yeah. isolate yourselves, wear masks yeah. because there is nothing that's keeping us safe right now other than that. Um, this is a nasty, nasty disease, and what our governments are telling us is not adequate. And we got to take this into our own hands and be be as safe as we can to get through this. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I know we're getting different information from all different sides, and it's hard to know who to believe. So hopefully, you'll just take you know our advice in that we just want you to be safe. Yeah, and the best way to do that is just wear a mask. We want you to be alive to write us hate mail. What? No. What? No, no, no. No hate mail. Speak for yourself, Knox. <laughs> All right. I think it's official. We Thank you, everyone, for uh, putting the tagline, uh, Get Better Knock. I think we can now go back to the fuck you, Knock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, go and save a whale, you hippie. Yeah, I was, I was really, uh, I was like, my ego was riding high for people saying I should get well. I should just. Put me back down a few pegs, huh? <laughs> ah! All right, I think we're ready to wrap up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to go to MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com. And if you would like to send Knox some hate mail, you can send it to RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. And also, okay. don't forget to check out our Misfits videos on YouTube, M-I-S-S-F-I-T-S. You'll find it under the Recycle Santa Cruz uh, um, page. You're going to drop a new one on Tuesday, you said? I believe Tuesday, yeah. Yeah. Nice. There you go, and it's a nice and long one. So and you sorry. know that I hope you have as much fun watching them as we did making them. <laughs> I think you will. Yeah. Um, actually, on this one, uh, I put a little, a little present at the very end. Uh, Bagel and Emma know what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's, like, it's like a Marvel movie. There's a post credits end scene. Is that where you guys are eating shawarma or something? Uh, or what? You'll, see. <laughs> you'll see. It's a little present. All right. Thanks, everyone. This is Liza. Am I darling? And we're out of here. 
Roll call. Roll call. Roll call.